This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome to Practical Spirituality here at Asia Torah in the Old City of Jerusalem, overlooking the Temple Mount. Um, please log on to uh, go online and log on to YomTovMedia.com and join the Yomto Media Club, YomTovMediaClub.com, and that's the club that we uh, are. We have a staff of people that are getting these words out there as much as possible. It's my social media um, network club, and and it's a special kind of inner circle club of people who my classes have made a difference for them over the years. And uh, and certainly, I'm, I'm really... I mean, this week, actually, in the, in the Ten Spheros... Uh, sorry, in the count of the seven Midas is... This week is Netzach. Today's Hodes, Sheba Netzach. But that's really my character is Netzach. Netzach means... You're in for the long haul. It's the part of your character that just keeps going and going and going and going and going. All of us have it inside, but some people more than others. You know those people who like have a new job every couple of weeks? That's not a Netzach personality. You know, like I started working for Asian Torah 27 years ago. Here I am, 27 years later. I saw a girl I wanted to marry 27 years ago, and I wasn't ready to date. I had to study Torah. I had to learn all of it, you know. And... And then, but like three years later, when it was time to date, I, they, the rabbi said, you know, Yom Tov, it's time to date. And, uh, and I said, okay, but before you set me up with anyone, I have someone in mind. And that woman I'm married to now, uh, this fall will be 25 years. Wow. So, and I really called 28 years, because the second I saw her, 28 years ago, I mean, that's Netzach. That's like, I'm going to keep going with that. And I still surf, and I'm still mountain biking, and I'm still doing yoga, and I'm still pounding beers, and I'm still, you know... Yeah, I started a seminar 18 years ago. I'm still running the same exact seminar. You know, it's it's the same seminar 18 years later. So you get that's me. To, that's Netzach. The opposite of that is Hod. Today's Hod. Hod Shabbat Netzach. Hod means focus. That I've got none of. In fact, you'll hear probably about 10 different subjects just during this hour, because I can't stick on one subject. I just don't work that way. Hod is focus. And I know people who are so focused, they're just totally focused, but they, but you find them somewhere else every year. They're like always going into something else. When they're there, they're micro-focused in there. But but then they're somewhere else the next year. And you know who you are. You, you hoed people. You hoed Nicks. But I'm a Netzach Nick. And I, I stick with something a really long time, but, but uh, again, a bit of a kind of a space cadet. Okay. And... Um, so that's, that's today's meetup, but let, what we're going to talk about today is how we interface in personality. There are three tr- types of personality, and they're important to understand. You think I should do that softer from now on? I feel like it needs that, but maybe it doesn't need that. Yeah, it seemed like it didn't need that um, from the bang. Okay, so there's three types of personalities. These are different kinds of interfaces. There's the um, the intellect interface. Then there's the interpersonal interface, and then there is the the instinctual interface. So we all have all all of these. Now, for example, in this classroom, you're in a classroom, so it's probably going to be information coming at you, hitting your intellect. On the other hand. You're with me, and I'm very interpersonal by nature. You'll notice that I'm me compared to maybe other teachers. I'm going to be much more with you than 
than just trying to give over data. You understand? I'm going to be more with you than, way more with you than the data I'm giving over. And I'm imparting myself into the experience much more than I would just be imparting uh, data, like I said, information. Okay, so that's the interpersonal. And, um, but you would think the lobby out there would be a great place for interpersonal interaction. And then the, the last is instinct. And instinct is your, your body, your physical body, and how you kind of get your info from physicality, which is our instinct, our intuition, that's all going on in the instinctual realm. So you live in all three of these realms, but it's really important that you figure out which of those three realms you most connect to. Which one of those is your number one, which one's your number two, and which one's your number three. So if we put it like this, if we gave these actual numbers, so we give this one, oops, the read's not so strong, one, two, and three, so you'd figure out which is your strongest, and then you give it you give it a number. So I'm a two three one, by nature. I'm a two three one person. I'm mostly interpersonal. Then I'm instinctual, and then I'm intellectual. So you want to get a sense of of what you are. Are you a three one two? Are you? A, I I was just meeting with someone uh, this last hour who's a three one two. A three one two is not a lot of fun to talk to somebody by listening to me right now. Um, a three one two is not very fun to speak. It's not very fun to speak to someone who's a three one two. They don't naturally relate to people. That's their least strong attribute. Is is meaning? By the way, all three of these are. We're talking about your USB cable. How do you? What's your USB cable to this world? And so I had to spend the last hour with a three one two, which means the conversation didn't flow. I had to keep it flowing the whole time, and it was fine. I was there to help the person, and so that's cool. I'm, I'm going to help him, and I spoke the first half hour straight because he won't speak otherwise, and then he started to share, and then I was able to help a bit. You know, we're going to have to meet a few times. Had he been a two, we would have been unmeeting because we would have synergized and gotten to the point of it, but this is definitely a two-three meeting person. Until we're going to get to what he needs. Now, the and there's people who are one, three twos. Also, no fun to talk to. You certainly don't want them at your Shabbos table, unless you're married to them. And um, and then uh, and so this is intellectual people, and they're and then they're instinctual people. But the last thing they want to do is be around a bunch of people. So they'll generally be more more likely to be introverted. Anyone who number two. Uh, in case you're wondering which one you are as far as number two, is if you would, if you would call yourself an introvert, you're most likely uh, interpersonal is your last on your list. And someone who's like an extreme extrovert like me, this is probably going to be number one on your list. So that, that's helpful. Um, the other thing is uh, uh, there's good ways to know how instinctual you are as well. That's not so difficult because you would... Um, You'd relate very much to life's pleasures. You would, um, you you really are in your body very much, and um, you're you're good at uh, you're, you're you're pretty balanced probably. I mean, you have good balance. You could do things that require good balance. You're probably handy with your hands. Um, can do stuff like that. Um, you probably 
like eating on Shabbat, but you don't really like Shabbat. You find yourself sitting at the, staring at the clock. You know, like, well, you're not that interested in staring at people, and you already ate, and, you know, lunch is over, and the only thing you can think of is go to sleep. You're not an intellectual to study. So, my, my, uh, it's really important, by the way, to know your order of events here, which one, to know your order, to get your modality. One of the reasons it's so important is if you aren't married yet, it's not too late to marry someone who shares your modality. Because that's the, that's the ultimate. Is, for example, I'm a, I mentioned I'm a 231, so I married a 231, which is great. Her proportions are different than mine, meaning, uh, meaning I'm, I'm very strong here and very not strong here. And she's really strong in all three. So it's great. We always want to do the same stuff. Except, you know, after Shabbos lunch, when I've eaten my chillin, I only want one thing. What's the one thing I want? Nap. Yeah, I want a she nap. She probably wants to go outside and go on a walk. No, no, she's, she's done the interpersonal at the table. She's done the eating at the table. She wants to study. Oh. She wants to open books. So when we were first married, she would, she, we would open a book together because we're first married. And, <laughs> and we're at the table. And like within literally like 30 seconds, I'm just like... She's just sitting there. What happened? What happened? That was quick. <laughs> Fast asleep. So then after like a year of marriage, I said, okay, why don't we study in, the, in our room? Oh. Yeah, I wake up with a stiff neck. You know, let's study in our room. I, I've got it. You'll read. I'll listen. The same thing happened. Yeah, except now I'm laying down comfortably. But, but now that we've been married for almost a quarter of a century, she doesn't say anything. She just, she just makes sure that I'm happy. And I also do a little something because, you know, the five love languages are? So that her language of love is service. Mine's words. Words are a lot easier than service. So I can't just say it was a wonderful meal. Good night. In the middle of the day after the chillin'. So what I do is I go clear the table. And then she sees that she's loved. And I clear. And I'm exhausted. You know, I'm like, I'm falling asleep carrying like bottles to the kitchen and, and the, uh, but I, I do the service she knows she's loved she's going to study for another hour or two and I'm going to bed so anyway but it's but if you're not married yet you can do what I did and and find someone who shares your things otherwise you're going to be living kind of what do they call that parallel lives parallel lives although that sounds nicer than it is um Parallel lives just means you'll agree to do other things at different times of the day, and you don't have to be together. Um, with my wife, she's she'll do anything just to talk to me, and and I love talking to her. So the interpersonal stuff's really always cracking. And then uh, we we'll do yoga together, we meditate together, and we we do all. I mean, we do we dance together. Like we, we we'll just rock out. Like sometimes we'll just take a like an Airbnb in the mountains. And with speaker system, and and just crank up some rock and music, and we'll just dance the entire night. And we we really, just a couple of weeks ago we danced for like, I think we danced six hours straight, something like that. We danced for six hours straight. It was amazing. It was the best night. So, anyway, so we totally meet here, and then the next day I woke up, you know, at like eleven, and she's like studying. You know, just kidding. I didn't wake up at eleven o'clock. 
we went all night. <laughs> we, we never went to sleep. But, uh, but what an amazing experience. So, so anyway, if you're single, you still have a chance to interview a person of the opposite gender who might share these things. Because I know people are total misses on this. I know people uh, who are, I mean, just everything's the opposite on these things. So he wants to study, she wants to do yoga, you know, she wants to hang out with her friends, he wants to watch TV, you know, he wants to watch sports or something like that. And so, yeah, he goes with her sometimes to out with her friends, you know, sometimes. And, uh, but it's like pulling teeth to get him to do it. And, so, and it's not a big deal for us to stretch for our spouses. That's fine to stretch for our spouses. And, the, uh, and I will study with my wife. And she will say to me, you know, Shabbos is coming. I'd really appreciate it if you had Devar Torah, something to share in the Parsha for each meal. And, and I'm just like, yes, ma'am. You know, and, and so while I'm in shul... I'm opening up the chumash and I'm checking out what to say at each meal. And while I say it, it means so much to her because she knows that's a stretch. It's a stretch I'd do that. You know, because normally I'd go to shul. I'm a Hasidic Jew and I go to an ecstatic prayer place. So you're just ready to go home after that. You know, it's three and a half hours screaming your head off, you know, and like full shuckling, like, like, like intense bellowing of, of screaming for hours. You know, I just want to go home, but my wife said, you know, see if you can have something to say. So that means, okay, kids, go talk to your friends. I'm going to open up some chumash and get a devar for, for the meal. So, so it's fine if you don't have the same numbers on everything and you can just stretch yourself a little bit. Okay, any questions at this point? Excellent. Moving on. Now, the Jewish world was always very respectful of these three. Because the Jewish world really hits all these three in a big way. Torah study, prayer, mitzvahs. Torah study, prayer, mitzvahs. It's like, it's all there. Like, we're, we're built for this. You know, you can study the Torah, which is an intellectual practice. You can pray and interpersonally relate to your maker. Like, that's amazing. And lastly, is you get to, like, build a sukkah. You can shake your cosmic vegetation around. Yeah, the men get to strap these leather boxes on themselves, you know, if you're into leather. And they're, um, the, the, uh, I mean, we just got mitzvahs all over the place. We can, uh, there's a spot right here for you, right in the middle. There's, uh, there's, I mean, there's just so many mitzvahs we can be doing all the time. And uh, not to mention the mitzvah of Shabbos. Our house starts Shabbos on Wednesday. Seriously, Wednesday, Shabbos, Shabbos, we're in full Shabbos mode. Like all my wife's creative activities are Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. Starting Wednesday, it's, she's shopping for Shabbos. She's already getting stuff going for Shabbos. Um, yesterday, they already had the fish ready for Shabbos. Uh, tonight... Tonight will be, I already right now, probably in my kitchen, and they're in full Shabbos prep mode right now. And so, and so you're just, your body's in the mitzvahs of things. You know, you're, you're, you're busy using your body. So Judaism's really nicely set up for the three modalities, and it really, it really hits them quite well. 
And so we're all pretty psyched on that. But it is also, you can have your favorite part of Judaism, the part you want to really connect to, because that's fine. Everyone's allowed their mitzvah. You know, even though we're supposed to, you know, every mitzvah is equal to every other mitzvah, you can't judge the weight of a mitzvah over another mitzvah. Every mitzvah is, uh, you know, it's, it's a standalone, it's a standalone mitzvah. You want to sit? Are you looking for the Bodners? <laughs> she had mentioned her here earlier to me. No, she isn't. She's good. Yeah. You're good? So the, um, every mitzvah is a standalone reality. But you're allowed to have favorites. It's fine to have favorites. You know, I, for example, holidays. I'm crazy about holidays. I mean, really crazy about holidays. I mean, maybe because my name's Johnny Holiday. I mean, my name's, my name's Yom Tov. My English name's Johnny. Johnny Holiday. So I'm born to love holidays, but I really, really get into them. Like you guys, anyone here been to my sukkah parties? Anyone been to one of those? She's been to a sukkah party. Yeah. So you've been to a sukkah party? Okay. So our sukkah holds 100 people, has tap beer, bandstand, and it's, uh, I mean, it's just this amazing experience there. And, but, but, like, that's my mitzvah. Like, that is the mitzvah, simchas yom tov, like the joy of yom tov. And so you can have your favorite mitzvah. But here, once you know if you're a 213 or a 312, you, you, Judaism's just waiting for you. So the ones are in heaven. Because we so emphasize Torah study that the ones, you know, sometimes I meet a one who comes to Israel, you know, they discover Torah and they're like blown away by these classes. They want to get out of this course, Essentials. They want to get out of here as quick as possible and move over to the base Midrash and start really studying. And, and then they're like, they catch wind of the fact that once you get married, they'll like pay you to learn. You, you get a stipend. Like forget tuition. You get paid to learn. It's called koilo. Koi Lil. Okay? How do you spell it? K-O-Y L-E-L. Koi Lil. So you get paid to learn in Koi Lil. And, and the, um, when they hear that, when the ones hear that, you know what they do? They send an email back to their entire email list saying they died and that, and that the body can't be found and people should just, you know, we're so sorry. You know? And then they just like lock themselves into the study hall and live happily ever after. Because <laughs> they, they just love this place. This is great for them. And, uh, and the interpersonal types like me, they're going to want to join like some community because the Hasidic community, if you're Ashkenazi or even Sephardic, because they have Breslev and Chabad and stuff for Bre- Sephardim. But if you're, uh, if, you're, if you're an interpersonal type, so the yeshivish community is not really the funnest place in the world, but the Hasidic community, oh my gosh, like, we love hanging out. Hasidim love hanging out. We can just hang out and hang out and hang out and hang out. And in fact, the Shabbos I'm going to tomorrow is like, you know, it's like, it's like 500 couples, Hasidic couples. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's like a strimal sale. And the, and the, and it's like the ultimate hanging out with scotch and herring and, and we just, we'll just hang out for hours and hours and hours. People, are, people won't sleep there for two nights straight because they're just going to hang out the whole time. And uh, so this really works there. Also, interpersonal is you have, you, have, uh, the, you know, the connection to prayer I mentioned. And lastly, is there's like a million mitzvahs to do for the instinctual types. Now, um, there is one issue, though. And the issue is, is what if you're part of a community that doesn't honor the other ones? 
What if you're in a community that doesn't really honor the other ones? Like, what do you do, for example, what if you're raised in a, from a family that's really uh, into, uh, let's say, yeshiva, like study, the father's really into study, and he puts the kids in the, the all the kids are in this yeshiva environment, and so, and so that's called making it, like making it is there, but what do you do if, you know, because there's, there's a statistical chance that you're going to have several children who are going to be here. So, so several of the kids could be there. If you have 10 kids, let's say, for example. A lot of these families have 10 kids. So they're here. They, uh, what do you do with the instinctual kid? What do you do with the kid who's a, who's a 3 two, one in yeshiva? What do you do with that kid? What are you supposed to do with it? What's going to be with that kid? And what do you think the percentages are? Like, if you actually took the human population, let's say females, for example, um, where do you think the females come out in percentages here? So, well, they're, they're, I think what they come out to is about 45, 45, and 10. Yeah, right, 45, 45, and 10, something like that. And uh, maybe this is a little more. Maybe we got 60, 35. Uh, yeah, you, you don't want to be, I mean, uh, uh, no female wants to be intellectual. I mean, that's like, that's a disaster. I did sometimes. Uh, yeah, sometimes. Did, did you notice the, uh, did you, have, you, have you ever noticed the hachamot, that a lot of women who are hachamot are often single? You know what I'm talking about? There's these great teachers who like know all of Torah and they're like big hachamot and they're like 40, 50 years old and they're single. Okay, they, it's, it's not something you want to happen because, because what happens if, oh my gosh, I totally forgot. I forgot that we're, we're not discussing brains here. There's nothing with brains. Meaning, meaning, there's a rabbi in Jerusalem, he used to be an Asia Torah rabbi, who's the, probably one of the smartest people you will ever, ever meet. He was in charge of our rabbinical ordination program. I mean, smart, smart. And in, he was a total instinct guy. So, like, he, he, even though he was studying Torah all the time, he'd prefer to be eating burgers and drinking cheap beer. Okay? When he came to Israel, when he got here, he had just finished rebuilding a Mustang, like a Ford Mustang. Like, he took it all apart, labeled everything, and put it all back together and drove it. You know, like, this guy's a total instinct guy, but a genius. All the people, all the geniuses who've like figured out how to make millions in the stock market, they're all instinct guys. Those are instinct guys. Instinct people who are geniuses. None of this was about brains. We were not saying this is a smart guy. I know, I know intellectual guys in yeshiva who love ideas, but everything comes hard to them because they're not as smart as some of the other people who get it a lot quicker. They just don't care. I Meaning this guy cares. He just doesn't get it so well. This guy gets it easy. He just doesn't care. You understand? I mean, he doesn't care that much about ideas. This guy cares his whole life is ideas. He lives in the realm of ideas. But he's not that smart. And obviously the ultimate would be, and probably who are our top rabbinic leaders? They're people who are intellectuals, who are very smart, meaning super high IQs. They, get, they got it together. But this has, again, this has nothing to do with the one's intelligence. 
And this is why, for example, there are genius artists. There are artists who are mad geniuses, crazy geniuses. But they live, they're, they're like 90, 95, 2.5, 2.5. And, half, two and, a half. <laughs> and they're, they're just beyond like mad geniuses, these people. And that's fine. God knows exactly how to like, you know, how to shake the salt over the different pots when he creates us. You know, they say, you know, every country has where all the crazies live. You know, like America has uh, on the East Coast, they have Greenwich Village and the West Coast, they have Venice Beach. And here they have Tzfat, you know. So so they say that uh, when when God was shaking craziness around the world, he that the, the thing, the the thing fell off or is that how are you supposed to say that whatever it fell off over those towns you know Thanks. the um, so, so what I wanted to share with you is that is that if someone's born instinctual to a yeshiva situation where that's the culture so he can easily feel marginalized very quickly about himself. And that's why I started talking about percentages because we're not talking about a small amount of people. Because in the males, let's say, what do you think the male percentages? I believe the male percentages are probably, they're probably uh, 45, 45, and 10. I would imagine. They're probably 45, 45, and 10. There's not too many men just live in ideas. You know, we, we, we want our friends. We like our sports. You know, like, think about men. <laughs> men like, you know, we like to have a few friends. And we like, you know, we don't mind being a little intellectual. Like, we'll read the paper in the morning, you know. But, like, most men are not pouring over books. You know, it's just not the way it goes. Because it's a very low percentage, and it should be a low percentage, because you, you just don't need that many people being involved in the ideas. You have to have some people involved in the ideas. And what I was saying before about women is that a woman who's intellectual is going to have a rough time respecting her husband. And the key to marriage is the respect. Key to marriage is respect. When I interview men to marry my daughters, all I'm doing is just seeing if this guy, knowing how my daughter respects me, would this guy also be respected? Because if there's no respect, then I just completely blew it for my daughter on the marriage. You understand? So the, the respect of one's husband is the key to one's marriage. You respect him, you get something automatic. There's an automatic freebie if you respect a man. If you respect a man, the automatic freebie is attraction. No respect, no attraction. Respect, you get attraction. Okay? And I tell married people all the time that if the woman doesn't feel respect for the husband, then she doesn't complain about it. She builds him up. Not only in her eyes, but literally builds him up to the person that she respects. She builds that man up because sometimes they'll get into a mode of tearing him down even stronger. Uh, but there's always an easy way to know if this is going on. If this dynamic's going on, you know very simply by the frequency of cohabitation. If the frequency of cohabitation has dipped, that means that there's a respect issue here. And so the man needs to be trained how to command that respect. Obviously, not. did I say demand or command? Yes. Commanding respect is not demanding respect. Once you're demanding respect, you don't deserve it. Okay? Anyone who, anyone who thinks they need to... They, anyone who wants respect shouldn't get it necessarily. 
but someone who commands respect in, in his approach, in his relationship. In, uh, for example, uh, you know, let's say my wife was upset with me, let's just say. Okay? And, the, and my wife's upset with me. And, and she goes, you know, she goes, for the, and she goes into attack mode. She's upset with me and she goes into attack mode. If I, if I interact with that attack, is that respectable or is that just show I'm just a, I'm just a Pavlov dog. I'm a, I'm just a reactionary boy trapped in a little corner trying to, you know, I like a cat. Am I supposed to react to that or am I supposed to just kind of, you seem very upset. Seem really upset. Or am I supposed to defend myself and told, to let her know how wrong she is? Which one? No, just not in my head. You seem really upset. And I get it. You know, and then repeat a couple of her points. And then she's like, okay, married a man. Married a man, because I can't, I can't drag him into this. He's not willing to go down this river of pain that I'm in. And because when we're going down a river of pain, we love a, we love a uh, passenger. <laughs> and we're going down that river, and there's no greater passenger than a, than a hurt husband, a wounded man, or a girl, we should call him. And so you get him to fight back, you get him to get the whole thing together, and then everyone's miserable. But instead, when the man can just breathe, be there with her, let her express whatever she's got to say. Repeat the stuff she said so she knows you heard you. You heard her. And you'll see it's the most amazing thing. By the way, anyone who doubts what I'm saying is true, just watch what happens. Watch what happens. You will see her go into a full factory reset within one hour. Within one hour. I promise you, you'll see your wife go into a full factory reset within one hour if you can be a man when she's upset. And, and so that, that's just, uh, the proof's in the pudding. Go check it out yourselves. And you'll see it works. And the, uh, by the way, if there's women listening to this, just forget everything I just said. <laughs> because if your husband didn't hear me say that, he's just going to get into it with you. And... And then you're just going to both be like just this snowball going down there, down into a ravine somewhere. So, anyway, so that's why God made it such that women would be more involved in instinctual living and also the interpersonal in order to care for our world and, and nurture it. And, and not, we don't need that many people intellectual, not in the male world, not in the female world. But it's a particular kind of curse if it lands on a female, because of that respect issue. And the um, the oh, by the way, if you're wondering why intellect's the most challenging for respect, it's unique the intellect when it comes to respect. Because you see, let's say I'm a bass player. And let's say, uh, what's your Hebrew name again? Moshe. Let's say Moshe over here plays bass. And I'm better. And no one else in the room plays bass. Can I be arrogant over anybody here? 
only one. There's only one person I, am, I can upstage, and that's Moshe. Everyone else, it's irrelevant that I play bass better than you. You don't play bass. When it comes to intellect, everyone's got one. And if your intellect, if your intellect is a cutting-edge intellect, you understand, if you have like, if you're on the high percentiles of intelligence, you can hit the snobby intellectual mode with everywhere you go, everyone you see, no matter what. You step into an, an airplane with 300 people on it. You're the smartest person on that airplane, including the pilots. You, you go to a business meeting. You're the smartest person every single time in the business meeting. You're, no matter where you go, you are head and shoulders above everybody. And therefore, you have to work on yourself so deeply because God wants from us, God favors the empty vessel. And someone who has arrogance is always full. That's the full vessel. And God favors the empty vessel. You see, who did he choose to get the Torah? The smartest? No. Which one? The humblest. God gave the Torah to the humblest person. It's very interesting how our yeshiva community, who do we respect? The humblest or the smartest? We respect the smartest. And that's the one with the biggest challenge of, of arrogance and now, want to add insult to injury, not only he's got the biggest challenge because he's got the highest intellect, and therefore was the top of everywhere he went, every school he ever went to, every yeshiva, everything, everything, he's always at the top. But to make it even worse, because that's who we give all the honor to. Been, they get extra piled on honor everywhere they go. They're put in the front. You know, give them a seat. Now, you should know, that's our mitzvah. We have a commandment. It's one of the 613 commandments. Honor the Torah, those who know Torah. We have two commandments regarding Torah of the 613. One is to study it, and the other is to honor those who study it. Study it, honor those. Study. I don't know if you guys knew that, that when you honor a Torah scholar, you're fulfilling one of the 613. I don't know if you knew that. But you should know, the next time you see a Torah scholar, do something to honor him in some way. And you're literally like shaking a lulav right now. You're literally doing one of the 613 when you're, when you're honoring a Torah scholar. So do what you can to honor Torah scholars. And obviously, make sure they're eating. Most big Torah scholars are eating, but, but you never know. There's a lot of Torah scholars who are you'll never ever hear of in your entire life. And they're just hidden out, doing their Torah study. And so you have a chance, to, if you have a chance to honor them, which may even be helping support them, go for it. Now, uh, now, given that most men are probably 45 and 45, that means that, that means that 90% of men being raised in the yeshiva environment are like fish out of water. They're like fish out of water. Now, the ones that are here survive. They do pretty good. And the reason they do pretty good is because think of the fraternity. Think of the fraternity of a yeshiva. And you'll, you'll notice that some of you who graduated yeshivas are like, you reminisce not so much about the learning, but about the friends. And the, the, you're part of a gang of people. I mean, you could be in a yeshiva with 300 men. And you're, you're just, you're in this camaraderie. There's, there's this partnership. The, the um, people who are here are... are 
they do well in yeshiva. As long as they got like half a brain, they'll do fine in yeshiva because they've just got friends. And and there's just there's weddings after a while when people start getting married and they're like in constant events. If you're Hasidic, forget about it. I mean, you're just hanging out all the time. And and then the uh, but the guy who's here, which is again, it's forty five percent of the children born to these to these homes. If you're there, then you're like, now what? Like, I'm not that interested in all these people. I'm pretty uncomfortable. I feel judged a lot of the time when I'm in public. I have a fear of of uh, I've, you know social anxiety. I don't want to be with with you know two hundred guys who look exactly like me. Um, I I'm not interested in in certainly not interested in four hours of study in the morning, four hours of study in the afternoon, and another two at night, night seder, and in the interspace is like prayer. No, not interested in any of that. And the um, now some luck out if they're geniuses. And they can just, anyway, because usually God doesn't create this kind of headspace for a guy. But if the guy's that unique genius who's an instant guy, okay, don't put up with it. But what you get instead is a lot of marginalized people, a whole society of people who feel marginalized. They just feel out. And, of course, you're never allowed to talk about this, but that's my job. I'm the one who talks about everything you're never allowed to talk about. But I know a lot of parents who suffer because they love their children like their own flesh. They love their children. And they see their children suffering in these situations. And the child has this big problem because in those communities, they make Torah study such a big deal that it's almost like idolatry. And what do I mean by idolatry? I know I'm using big words, but why is it like idolatry? Like idolatry. (laughs) The reason it's like idolatry is because there's an amazing definition of idolatry. And you know what that is? It's making the means the end. Making the means the end. For example, can our earth exist without the means of the sun? No. Are we allowed to bow down to the sun? No, that would be making the means the end. That's idolatry. Money could be idolatry. Is a, is a, is, do you need money to live? Yes. Is that the end? Or the means? Money. It's just the means. But you bow down to money, it's idolatry. It's about making the means the end, and you should know all the intricate idolatry of the different, uh, you know, like more pagan communities, India and stuff like that. They're, what are they? Who are these people? What, why are they doing this? Why are they giving flower offerings to this god and that god and this god and that god and this god? Like, what are they doing that for? And the reason is, is because they know all the Kabbalistic parallel universes that we study in Kabbalah. They know those universes, and in those universes are, are beings. There are beings in there. And some of those beings are quite in charge of large swaths of spiritual realms. And they, in those traditions, believe you can appease them with a gift, with an offering. That you can bring them an offering. Okay, I guess if you're some India guy with a dot on your forehead wearing a bed sheet, you know, that makes all the sense in the world. If, on the other hand, you're from the tribe of prophecy, Israel... And you've already been let known, you have been shown to know. Ki Hashem, hu ha'elokim. Enod Milvado, that there's really only Hashem. And all that system that he created, all the parallel system, 
does not need your offerings. All offerings are for whom? The Creator. For the Creator, not for the intermediary. Not for the mediums. They're not for the means. You get that? <gasps> idolatry, so I just explained how real idolatry is really just giving, making the means in. It's like thanking a waiter. I try to go into the kitchen. When I go to a restaurant, I try to go into the kitchen. If I can get back there, I'll always sneak. I'll wait till no one's looking. I'll sneak back there. Find those chefs sweating it out in there, and I just say, thank you so much. Because it's nice. I tip the waiter. I thank the waiter. I appreciate them bringing the food. Can't eat without them doing that. But you certainly can't eat without someone, you know, you know, whisking up the eggs and stuff. Like, you got to meet that person and say thank you to the source. And also, obviously, I make a brach on the food because I'm thinking the true source before and after the meal. So, so anyway, but that's idolatry. But how many people in the yeshiva community have made the Torah the end? You understand? They made the Torah the end. And, and so, in a way, it's like an idolatry. Like idolatry. To make the Torah the end. And you know, that's cute and sweet what I'm saying, but there's casualties along the way. And what happens is that people make this really dangerous distinction, which I'll show you here. Here is 612 commandments. 612 commandments. And over here is one commandment. Guess which commandment? What commandment? Yeah, it's called Torah study. It's a commandment. Torah study. One commandment. But what happens if you so emphasize, listen carefully, if you so emphasize Torah study, if you make Torah study the end in itself, so then what happens is you wind up here thinking that this is the entire thing. Right? Then you wind up thinking, this is all there is. And so if this doesn't go for you because you are the instinct guy and this didn't go for you. So I have met countless kids over and over again and adults, adult businessmen with Gentile families because he married a Gentile but sits next to me somewhere, you know, wherever I met him and he's got his Gentile family around him and and he's like, I was in yeshiva. And as I get to know him, I realize I'm talking to an instinct guy. And he was considered the goy for not really getting any traction in yeshiva. And he got spit out of the system. Because he was told that Torah is what it's all about. Meanwhile, there were 612, count them, 612 mitzvahs waiting waiting for him. Mitzvahs are to connect to God. So he had 612 other mitzvahs waiting. Just waiting. And so as a people... Don't worry, you have time for me to take my helmet off. (laughs) (laughs) And so as a people, so as a people... I'll tell you, we don't have to de-emphasize Torah study, but we do have to put everything in perspective. Shh. We have to put everything in perspective for our, for our generations growing up to make sure that there's something for everybody in Judaism. 
Thank you very much. <coughs> You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.